0: Hello, Adam. Uh, hello, Joe. Hello. Um, before we start, I've got to share some rather negative feedback that we've had jointly. Um, I think you've had some similar feedback. Uh-huh. So 100% of my relatives argued or observed after last episode that you and I basically don't know what a joke is, and right. um, do we realise that a joke isn't just saying something turned out to be something that rhymes with cheetah. Yes. So have you taken that on board and come up with any better jokes?
1: Um, well I'm trying to I, I got the same feedback from one yeah. of my friends she said that that segment about the cheetah made no sense whatsoever Yeah, and, it it, and she said that no. though it was entertaining it was frustrating Stupid. to listen to Yeah. So one of the points where I'm like worrying that we're beginning to alienate our base mm. with, this, with these jokes so yeah. I need to really crack down on this and understand how to do a joke yeah. properly
0: so should we do we could do some Halloween jokes yeah. um, and just try not to make them rhyme with cheetah unless yeah. that's actually funny. Yeah, have you got any good jokes?
1: Uh yeah. Spooky jokes. Right? Yeah, spooky yeah. jokes, yeah. Um why was the ghost banned from Airbnb?
0: Why was the ghost banned from Airbnb? Because
1: he wasn't a very good host.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that follows the rules but isn't mm. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um what's a ghost favourite podcast? Uh
1: f- I don't know.
0: It's um, Alan Partridge from The Ghost House.
1: Okay. What do but you... their
0: second favourite is
1: Smooth and wild, talk
0: about satire, ghost, cheater.
1: What's, what's the most popular and commercial kind of dead novelist? Um, a ghostwriter. A ghost writer? Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: What's a ghost favourite thing to do in a relationship that they don't want to be in anymore? Gaslight someone. No! <laughs> no, they ghost
1: people oh, because yeah, that's yeah. what
0: they are. So obviously they love yeah. doing anything that's got their name in it yes yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. Um th- why why was the <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's what's a ghost's favorite animal
1: uh goat yes it is because yeah. it sounds
0: a bit like ghosts and ghosts like things that sound yeah. a bit like what they are what's what's a monster's favorite kind of crisp
1: a munch a, a monster, monster munch bunch? yeah but okay. they, they do
0: just call it munch obviously yeah, but, yeah. Um, um, that's right thing the- into the rule of jokes is yep. things and people <laughs> like things and people that have their name in them or sound like their name. Yeah, so who
1: will be the Prime Minister of this country in a few months' time? Uh, I don't know. Ghost Rishi Sunak.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's much better. (laughs) I I once had a Prime Minister, but he turned out to be a cheater. (laughs) But we are going to talk about uh, meter and... Eating her (laughs) in this podcast, don't we? So let us see if we can scatter a few funny jokes throughout the podcast. But now let's
1: one last joke before we play the music.
0: Okay, okay, the one you did earlier. What was that
1: about uh, a free lunch?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Why is a why is a ghost like a free lunch? I don't know. There's no such thing as either of them.
1: (gasps) Controversial. (laughs)
0: So we've never done a Halloween special before. There no, we, we? it. Affords lots of opportunity for jollity. Yes. Uh, it's making me think about the Simpsons Halloween specials, the Treehouse of Horror. Yeah. Ones. So. I know what my treehouse of horror name would be on the credits. It'd be just like Joe
1: Wah! But what would yours be? Uh, Adam Ghost Smith. <laughs> that's, ghost that's Adam very Smith. Good. <laughs> no. The ghost of Adam.
0: That's the thing, is sometimes when they can't think of one, they just put a word in quotes in the middle and it would yeah. be just like Hank Spooky Ghost Azaria or something. It's like
1: Ghost Adam Smith's Invisible Hand. Ghost Adam Smith's Invisible Hand. Joke there for people familiar with 18th century economics because uh, Adam Smith oh, talks yeah. about invisible hand economics okay. yeah. uh, no I think it, actually if it was real it would be uh, a damned to hell Smith
0: that is the sort of
1: joke they would do yeah. so they, what would yeah. yours obvi- what would your obvious one be it
0: would be like Joe Wa- <laughs> wouldn't it <laughs> Joe Wa- yeah. yeah Yeah, what's what's a ghost's favourite joke a Joe Wa- no it's just Joe because Wa- I'm the best joke.
1: Okay. ok yeah fair enough
0: or the- ghost Joe Wa- they like that too ghost Joe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, see, we do know what jokes are. Yeah, we we've, do. Know we've what got them. Yeah, and yeah. um, we also got a little bit of um, a comment that we tend to talk for about forty minutes before we get onto the thing, and uh, say that was just a nice little <laughs> preamble. Um, but you know, some podcasts, podcasts do that, don't that is they? A a bit. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah a real podcast. We are that. a podcast, aren't we? Oh, yeah. do, you want, do you want to say what podcast we are now? Yeah, this or? is the
1: podcast Ghost Smith and Ghost War talk about <laughs> ghost, ghost satire. satire. Yeah,
0: but do you know what? Yeah. Um, there used to be a recording booth here Oh yeah But it has, it was burnt away in a fire 40 years ago So I don't know where you or I Are sitting right now
1: oh, oh. That reminds me of when we were recording In the pandemic yeah. And uh, I used to think like If either of us succumbed to the plague Succombed? This is going to be re- Succumbed to the plague mm-hmm. This is going to be a really difficult listen yeah.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> but fortunately Not too many people will have to be
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we didn't. Yeah, but uh, some interesting things have happened since we last spoke to our listeners. Yeah. Um. So and just to
0: say, we are a podcast. We are the podcast that is Smith, and we'll talk about Saturday yeah. form, function, future, etc. Yeah yeah. 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 So and we're going to be talking do. about Halloween things, cannibalism, yeah. ghosts, meat, yeah, and
1: all kinds of scary things. It's a spooky don't episode. Don't listen to it on your own. Yeah. Don't listen to it on your own. And if you are on your own. You're uh, not because sure there'll be a ghost there. You're in a pentagram or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Maybe there's yeah. a ghost everywhere. There could be a ghost there could be a ghost watching you right now. Maybe. Who are you talking to, Adam? The there's no one else in the
0: room. Oh the listener, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah.
1: Maybe they're ghosts. Nobody called ah. Joe War has worked here in a long time. Yeah. God, I was once, uh, speaking of ghosts in Airbnb, as I did in that uh, f- abortive joke earlier, I once <laughs> okay. uh, went to... Well, so when I first worked at York St. John, mm. uh, and I had a full-time contract, I used to commute to York St. John and stay yeah. in Airbnbs often. Mm. There was one time where I stayed in an Airbnb. I don't know if you've ever stayed in an Airbnb by yourself. No. But it's quite daunting. If it's actually, if it's like one of these ones that's literally a room in someone's house, it's quite daunting. I hate ringing people, I hate knocking on doors and i would always be proud how do you
0: do your trick or treating
1: a very it's fraught for me yeah um but (laughs) i uh, love
0: the idea of you going out trick or treat
1: (laughs) (laughs) hello good evening yeah Uh, trick or treat um yeah no like and also york is some of the roads are a bit messed up in terms of like google maps and things Mm. so i eventually found what i thought to be the house and like jeed myself up to knock on the door then what well, I was expecting... According... Like, the host was called Derek or something. The ghost. The, the ghost ghost host was called Derek or something. So knock on the door, this woman... Derek Acora yeah, yeah. And eventually this woman comes out um, and I was expecting a man called Derek. So I was like, oh, hello, I'm looking for Derek. And she just looked at me, like the blood drained from her face, and she said, no one called Derek has lived here in a long time. Really? So, yeah. And I was like, oh, what? Uh, maybe I've got the wrong house. She goes, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm Derek's <laughs> wife. Come on in. And I was just like, on the one hand... Damn, that's brutal. Mm. But on the other hand, good effort. Like, good. Yeah, good work. Well you her good pranking. You scared the yeah. shit out of me. Because well I thought done. I was going to have to go in a hotel or something. Um, well done to that lady. Yes. But we've got some news, haven't we? So, what? listeners might remember that we talked about Look Around You mm-hmm. last month. And then one of the co creators, Robert Popper, did a tweet about our podcast.
0: Mm, he quote tweeted your tweet about the podcast <laughs> and said, uh bless you talk about satire block about satire which is of course a joke from the thing I don't think I don't think we can claim he did a tweet about the podcast
1: or listened to the podcast but okay. that was very nice of him though wasn't yeah, it yeah um, I was impressed by that and also yeah. he used the format of the joke which, uh, which you would said in the episode mm. like it's it's a shame that people always yeah. do that joke but um, that's what he did so yeah. if you're listening so Robert it, Popper thanks. thanks thanks Thanks, Robert Popper Thopper. Thopper. yeah <laughs> Yeah, um,
0: so that was a very nice little perk, wasn't it? It was a lovely perk um, mm. And also oh, no, Not did a tweet, did an
1: X Oh, he did an <laughs> X and he X'd yeah. himself um, <laughs> About the podcast
0: Yeah
1: um, uh, What else news have you got? I went to Switzerland To attend a co- an international conference About uh, humour, mm. comedy and taste Which we might talk a little bit more about later And I'm it was sure in uh, a city called Spelt, B-A-S-E-L mm-hmm. Basil but Or sometimes known as
0: Baal isn't ball, it? yeah, yeah.
1: And it's in the German part of Switzerland, but a fascinating environment where people speak both French, Swiss, and German and English interchangeably. Um, uh, But I was staying in this hotel called the Hotel Rochette, I recommend it if you're ever in Baal, and I was having breakfast when a woman came up to me and said, and he said, Where's Derek? <laughs> yeah. She said, that's just what you say when you see women. <laughs> yeah, well, she said, The Hotel Rochette hasn't been here for a long time. <laughs> no, no. Then she came up to me and she said, um, Sorry to interrupt you whilst you're having your continental breakfast. Side note, what the hell? Dry cured meat. meat for breakfast. Mm, yeah. Weird. But, People uh, do that. Said, sorry to interrupt you whilst you're eating your dry cured meat for breakfast. It's Adam Smith isn't it From Smith and War Talk About Satire No I'm podcast. Derek yeah. <laughs> Adam Smith hasn't done a podcast In a long time no. Yeah we um, should probably Stop that one no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I was like, oh my goodness, yes it is. And she said, I'm a listener, and I've been listening for years. And you've you tweeted me one time, a couple of times, and you've mentioned me on the podcast because of my mm. blog that I that, where I review comedy things. My name is Emma Sullivan, and I'm uh, affiliated with the Open University and a big fan of the podcast. And I thought how extraordinary. I've come yeah. all the way to Switzerland and been recognized Met up. For, yeah. a, for doing a podcast with yourself that's incredible particularly being recognized visually because it's such an it's an auditory auditory medium so i wonder yes. if she just heard me talking to myself and and was like oh that's
0: well i wonder what's more likely <laughs> i wonder if it's that there's images accompanying the podcast or i mean if you want to tell me you were sitting there eating your breakfast ham going Oh, i here to examine the form, function, future, and history of the 18th century. It's the best century. I'm Adam Smith. I'm Adam Smith. I'm Adam, I'm Adam, I'm Adam, I'm Adam, I'm Adam Smith. I'm podcast. Do you think that's what happened? Hmm, yeah, I'm eating my ham. Or do you think that she might have seen the image that accompanies the podcast?
1: I think she might have seen the image that accompanies the podcast. I think so as well. And also it transpired that she was a delegate at the same conference about comedy and taste mm. and humour. And everyone from that conference was staying in the hotel. And you perhaps
0: shit. tweeted about the fact that you were on your way to Switzerland. Maybe presumably you did the it.
1: obligatory <laughs> "and we're off" tweet. I don't do that. I'd never do that. Okay. Except ironically, um, yeah. if it was a conference about satire. But no, I don't do the "and we're off" tweet. I hope that's. But did
0: true. you tweet like so stoked to be going to Switzerland? Can't wait to hear all these exciting papers. I'm I didn't. Honored. No, 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 but like, I'm not. No, don't just something yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I didn't.
1: because yeah. but I was tempted to do one that was like, Baal I am in you," because that's what they do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and then
0: when you leave, you have to say, "Thanks, Baal You were great. You did not disappoint." I don't like social media posts. It's really more of a Facebook mm. thing that say that sort of thank the country yes. as if it invited them and was nice to yeah. them.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Fuck you, mm. San Diego, and good night. Yeah. But yeah, the um yes no good night
0: Seattle.
1: we love you yeah but no so that that is true she came up and she Mm -hmm. said i'm a delegate at the conference i'm Emma sullivan she's fantastic she's following on twitter her blog's amazing her paper is very good but she said i just wanted to say i hope it's not weird love the podcast um i think it's great and i've been listening for many years and 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 it's great
0: that's really nice and i was really happy to hear that Yeah, yeah
1: yeah yeah and she said as well she messaged me the other day to say that as a result of a conference and some conversations that we had, she is now reading Diary of a Nobody amazing um and Three Men in a Boat.
0: I hope that she enjoys them, yeah. And then we can do an episode about, yeah. Well, we've already talked about Three Men in a Boat last year, haven't we? But we could talk about well, Diary of a Nobody. Interesting in she,
1: she said that she tried to read Three Men in a Boat years ago because she thought she was told it was a comic novel and just mm-hmm. couldn't, she didn't think it was funny at all. But now reading it, she said that she thinks it's hilarious. Good. So that's thanks, thanks, Joe war Oh. Small. Yeah.
0: Um So.
1: That's the end of the news. That's
0: the end of the news. <laughs> yeah. Um So we were going to talk a little bit about, it's not really about Halloween, but it does lead us quite neatly into some of the things we're going to talk about. Mm. And that is the Tory conference and especially Partygate. Yeah. The Partygate drama that aired for the first time, well aired on Channel 4 last night on the night of day two of the Tory party's conference in Manchester mm. which is fair to say hasn't been going especially well it's like they don't even try to for things no. to go well I mean that's they just it. make up things that aren't happening and say they're not going to do them and I know that's not an original yeah. observation but 15 minute cities uh, meat taxes yeah. and seven bins and all the rest of it and uh, yeah lots and lots of images on x of empty chairs mm. and uh about a broverman's a guide dog's tail <laughs> as well
1: yeah and did um, you see the spreadsheet that they released um, oh no. so they released a spreadsheet and one of the notes in the spreadsheet which they've released to the public says uh, this data about arrests is dodgy, don't release to the public <laughs> <laughs> but like it's the, it's uh, I mean I'm a, I always think about juvenile uh, saying you know starting satire 1 why do I write satire because I can't help it, there's never been mm. a time as bad as the time that I am in And but I just You think it can't get worse And now We're in a situation now Where I used to despair At David Cameron's government Mm. And Like I look back now With nostalgia To Mm. even Theresa May I mean These guys They even make Like early Boris Johnson Administration Look (laughs) reasonably plausible Because they're just Not trying They're just not even trying They're not even Bothering to obfuscate anymore And I
0: think They know that We all know That it that these are lies that yeah. there isn't a meat tax that there aren't seven bins that yeah. um and and that hs2 was their policy mm. and then they've gone to manchester where it's supposed to go to looking like they're going to say it's not going anywhere and it, it it's all just i mean it, it's become such a cliche for everyone to say on x that you know satire
1: has put down your pens. Mm. This, this, this is beyond satire I was going to say like the slogans as well are like so like they're not even late make saying Britain that. grow again well, made, yeah but there's so in the summer we had like cracking down on like low value degrees or something mm. it was like a hammer hitting the human taking
0: the woke out of science does today isn't taking it taking the woke
1: out of science mm. like we put drivers first was one wasn't it like mm. a, oh, and it, it's so basic and nonsensical like the yeah. wo- get getting the woke out of science is so lazy it's just like yeah it's so cynical and lazy uh, I hate I, just... they are,
0: I think they're just throwing everything they've got that sounds possibly like garbled nonsense that might appeal to someone yeah um yeah and that's what um basically, Michelle Donnellan, who used to be university's minister and was responsible for much of our misery in 2020, um, like, Victoria Derbyshire just says to her, like, but th- there isn't a meat tax, though, is there? Like, why are you this desperate? You're just making stuff up now. And she keeps saying, but we are the party of truth. And she said, well, th- here's three things that aren't true. Yes, but I do believe that we are the party of truth and fact. Yes, but these things aren't true, are they? Well, I think that Labour do want to have a meat tax, but they haven't proposed one and mm. nobody said this well uh, but I think people are very worried about them saying that but they haven't said it and it just goes on and yeah. on you should um, probably have a look at that it's interesting
1: that she falls back on advocating her belief in the face mm, of evidence
0: I believe we are the party of facts yeah. I mean
1: That's that is nonsensical
0: as a concept isn't it mm. yeah yeah Yeah. you might as well believe in ghosts but do you want to do you want to talk about um, party goat yes do you think it was do you think it so you, you
1: you talk. So Partygate is, if you've not seen it yet, it was broadcast on the, as you said, on the second day of the Tory Party conference, uh, half past nine on Channel Four, and what it is is a, uh, basically a dramatic, re- a, a dramatic recreation of the Sue Gray report. Mm. So you have actors acting out scenes, but all of the time these on-screen footnotes evidencing like which part of the report that they're adapting in that moment, interspersed with uh, footage from. TikTok and the news and uh, various pieces of reporting, and also face-to-face, yeah. in-person interviews with people who whose family members died during COVID or suffered horrendous fines for doing far little,
0: and also sometimes quite powerfully just footage of empty streets as mm. well, which was pretty um,
1: yeah powerful. So they're blurring the boundaries between like documentary and drama, um, and there but there is also a loose narrative conceit. So our focalizer is a fictional. Uh, character grace grace yeah and uh,
0: george the actress who plays her georgie henley Mm. um do you know what she what role she was first famous for
1: is it someone in the archers
0: no she was lucy in the lion the witch in the wardrobe and also coincidentally um and i was literally showing clips from this in a seminar this morning she plays the child jane in a 2006 TV adaptation of Jane Eyre oh right um, yeah but now she's all grown up and, yeah. uh, and on the oh time. wow yeah so yeah. she's
1: playing a, a, a an MP, well not an MP, no, like she's a a like civil a civil servant yeah. from Darlington who gets into like advances in government following the victories of Boris Johnson in the North around 2019 was it yeah yeah um, so she's our focalizer and she's sort of like a bit of an outsider but drawn into it and ultimately has a crisis crisis of consciousness and and, and it's like a hum, humanizing figure. Yeah. A slightly more humanised figure. And her
0: person. friend and advisor is also a fictional character, wasn't she? Annabelle, there's yeah. no real life Annabelle. But the one who says to her like, Oh, we make the rules, they're yeah. for other people, not for us. Yeah. So yeah. which is but everyone else is
1: real. Yeah. So that's helpful for us because they can do a bit of the editorialising. Like they can say the they can they can to do the narrative basically, tell the story. Mm. Um but everyone else, yeah, is a dramatised version of a real person. Um, and yeah, they really seamlessly intersperse it. So, for instance, you know when they're planning a to do a a, a, a press conference, like you'll see them in the audience, and then you'll see the actual press conference yeah. footage and stuff like this. Um, so so it's docudrama probably would mm. be what you'd call it. But essentially, what it does is it bangs you over the head with the injustices of of Partygate. Yeah. Um, really viscerally taking you back to that to twenty twenty to twenty twenty and. Um, and showing like th- how quickly they started having parties, the excessive nature of the parties, how little they cared about not only the law or the rules that they were making, but the even like the cleaning staff in Westminster, the security guards, the police, the extraordinary juxtaposition between the way they were the way they were behaving and what's happening to real people outside. Like for instance, some shocking footage I'd never seen before, mm. where there's a socially distanced funeral, and like a man goes to sit to next to his mum. And they stop the funeral and tell him to move back across the room. Yeah, interspersed with footage, which is adapted from reports of them spilling wine on the floor because they're having a rave.
0: They're yeah, like... and there's no sense at any point that they're remotely worried they'll catch COVID. It they, no, they they, doesn't occur to them, no. not only that it would be the right thing to do, to do the same rules, but that presumably we were doing it... I, I don't know, do they think they're immortal or did they all get their vaccines early or did they just believe... I mean uh, uh, they didn't none of them did die so no they didn't
1: take it seriously, um, they. no they
0: didn't and um, yet and I think one of, the, one of the most galling things was that they got fined individually sort of 50 quid or something didn't they and then people who have no idea how they're going to pay it have been fined yeah. like ten, fourteen thousand 14 thousand pounds for yeah. meeting in a shed
1: well there's like Cascading waves of injustice so Mm. to start with It's kind of like Well they're having They're they're taking suitcases Full of wine in To have these raves And like pretty much Straight off the bat Like immediately Whilst everyone else Is not even allowed To meet one person From outside their household Then you've got the stuff Of them raving Whilst people aren't allowed To like be close together In a funeral And then like the final Layer of it Is in January 21 Where yeah People are getting walloped With like £20,000 fines For three people Meeting in a shed Where And then they get £50 for one party that they attended when they're having... Yeah. I mean, it's not even just that they were having parties every day. They were having two or three parties at the same time. Yeah. Um, so... It, it was it was a really... Um,
0: it was a lot, wasn't it, to it, watch. And I found, like, at the beginning, even before we got onto the parties, like, seeing the footage from March 2020 when mm. they're saying in a few weeks these streets will be silent because we're surely going to go into lockdown, I found that really... Yeah horrid to watch and to remember what it was like to know that it was coming
1: yeah
0: and the, at the beginning the issue was they weren't taking action or taking it seriously enough quickly enough and then then they did and did these really quite draconian um rules and, and and ruined so many lives yeah and i'm not really getting into the question of the extent to which that was necessary or right or what what could have been done differently but if we take it as a given that that is how we were doing it yeah. It's just incredible, the misery that that normal people were living with.
1: Yeah.
0: And the completely... I mean, do these people not have, like, parents and relatives and siblings who don't live in London and yeah. from whom they're having to conceal the fact that they're doing this all of the time?
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Or And did... I mean, they all got out of London before Christmas, didn't they, as well? Because yeah. they knew what was about to happen to the rest of us. Well, it's I, I just... Mean, I don't know how... Anyone gets no. How how is how how I mean, there's a couple of
1: things like sort of people talk about getting triggered and stuff like that, and I don't Mm. I don't genuinely don't think that I've very been triggered very many times, and I don't think I was triggered in the full sense by this. But like when the news report started, it did take me back. Yeah. And and what I'd forgotten is like the physical feeling of waking up in the morning, knowing you couldn't see anyone, but also not daring to like put on Radio Four because I didn't want to know how many guests there'd been. Like it was day. De- like you think we're all gonna fucking die. Yeah. Like that is like I'd forgotten how palpable and intense that was, and like you say, they just don't give a shit. They're not even. No. They're not even remotely co- worried about getting COVID or the, what the impact of that would be. Um, and I,
0: I know, and also I'd forgotten this a bit. How you know when he was doing that, I shook hands with everyone, mm. and then he goes like, "Well, the important thing is to to wash your hands before, after. What w- wash your hands before." you shake hands and it's like he was taking the piss there wasn't he he was like oh I think I should say something about washing hands yeah. I don't really know before or after like it was nothing yeah all of that emphasis on washing distracted from what was really the concern and um yeah just
1: I, I mean I expected to be angry about the in- just seeing the pure injustice of it like what we were going through the stakes that we believed in the rules that mm-hmm. were set and then breaking the rules I expected that the bit that i didn't expect to hit me so hard is because some of this is reported speech as well so there's mm. the palpable extent to which they don't think of the population as people no yeah they, they don't think that there's there's them out there who are units to be managed and like don't think about it, don't think about them it's fine, they'll do as they're told we've got to keep the pressure on
0: and that one where the guy's typing with one eye closed because he's so hungover saying you absolutely mustn't have a work party yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and and, um, and like deciding like, let's do a fear campaign like whilst they've got bottles of wine on the table and like there's scenes where the the two civil servants go into the supermarket and the woman's there behind a perspex screen with her mask on and they're buying like 25 bottles of wine yeah. and they're like oh it's for a work event As a, again as if it's a joke I mean the scene, I mean the, we'll get into if it's satire or not but like yeah. it's Hogarthian where you've got the like literally hordes of people raving and then under their feet cleaning and up the wine. And puking
0: and fighting yeah. and
1: kissing and yeah, yeah. and then you've got, the, right. you've got the cleaners in full PPE having to like scrape the wine off the floor. And the coke Yeah, yeah. and clean up the coke and stuff it's
0: and it was like I mean you know in seminars at that time if students left like litter on the tables and you picked up their crisp packets and they're like there was something a bit like nerve wracking about doing even that wasn't there touching other people's stuff wasn't easy and they had to do it all the time with stuff that was not that had been like all around everyone and probably had bodily fluids and all kinds on it, and yeah. they just had to do that. Yeah, uh, and and Boris Johnson saying the the Hogarthian thing I think is really apt when he says like, oh, this is probably the most unsocially distanced party anywhere." And he's the way that it's shot, where you just see the back of him presiding over
1: mm-hmm.
0: the, those like hordes of revelers and
1: yeah, uh, partiers. The only thing that you could, in a very twisted way, the only thing that Boris Johnson does in that whole documentary uh, docudrama that is anywhere near honourable is defending the people at the party. Like, he sits there and he, he denies, he goes, everyone has worked very hard. Um, and He's lying. He's mm. like, this is why he had to resign. honour
0: amongst thieves, you mean? That's what that I mean, yeah. Of, yeah. So he's
1: like, he's standing up for his that like he's decided that it's um,
0: no, but is I... he no 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 but I don't I don't think he was actuated by a desire to save their skins as that if he said there was a party it did break the rules they it was him appalling so he saved and I was in the house and I saw yeah. it. Yeah, he, he isn't like no. putting his neck on the line for them, I don't think. I mean it's really easy to say and plenty of people are that Party was just inf- an infuriating watch mm. and really difficult and unpleasant. Do you think it was satire?
1: So I was obviously thinking about this the whole time. Um I do think that it in places fits the criteria because they're although they're adapting a report and there's evidence for a lot of it, they're disi- like the editorial decisions they're making, like footnoting all the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um like juxta just the way you put one thing against another. Yeah, yeah and that's like what juxtaposing. Is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um so like you think you're watching 2020 or the thick of it, but then mm. they've got the evidence rolling across the bottom of the screen. The casting, we talk about star power. So, like we've talked about this in the podcast yeah. before you have a you have a who you cast. They bring with them a resonance of who they've played before. And they so, had a lot
0: of people from like the Windsors and stuff yeah. like that, didn't they? Well, like yeah. having
1: Charlotte Ritchie play the head of ethics, who is the one who volunteers to get the karaoke machine out. Like that is a comic. Yeah. you've read, you've made it comic C- tragic comic I mean, you... and
0: I think a very interesting decision to have old what's his name who does the impression of Boris Johnson John yeah, Colshaw. Yeah, yeah. so the fact that we have his voice and he's known for being a Dead Ringers impressionist of Boris Johnson and yeah. that he does a pretty good Boris Johnson but the fact that we only ever see Boris Johnson from behind is really interesting because it stops it from being a kind of slightly naffer looky-likey moment where they've had to get someone and presumably they will have decided like we can't have someone who looks like him and sounds like him and if we get one wrong that ruins everything but the fact that you see him from behind and he's generally referred to as the boss isn't he which dehumanises him a bit more and then you hear this really quite good impression of him that draws attention to like the artifice of the whole thing he does yeah and stops it being kind of naturalistic and I think that might also make it feel more like satire because, yeah. because you have this, and we all know why that's happening. We know that we're not seeing his face. We know that was a conscious decision. We know it's John Colshaw's voice, but not his body. Mm. I think that draws attention to the artifice and the structure of it all in a way yeah. that makes it seem like,
1: aesthetically, yeah. it's satire yeah. as well. It also me. It also stops it from being about Boris Johnson. Mm. And like there are great bits so. We see Boris Johnson from afar, from the, from the eyes of, from the perspective of those cleaners who are cleaning up the puke and the coke, or from the perspective of, like, his aides and stuff. There's and you see,
0: you see the kind of, they're all, like, starry-eyed when he's reading the quiz questions and yeah. when he compliments one of them on the Latin pronunciation.
1: Yeah. There's no. one um, one moment where I think they use it to really good effect, where you've got the two cleaners looking down a long corridor, and at the end of the corridor we can hear Boris talking and he sort of it's when he's going to cancel Christmas mm. and he's sort of saying like, do you think this is too harsh or should we play that down should we play that up I don't know does this sound silly and then he steps forward and the camera angle cuts to like the view of the people recording him and it goes mm. seamlessly from the actor with the mop on yes. his head to the actual footage of him
0: doing his uh, very serious face yeah. and
1: yeah which again it, it's like um, that's like bathos in mm. reverse in a way isn't it so we know what he's going to say when he gets the podium because so we remember it yeah but was rendered low by all of the packaging of him like only deciding what he's going to say seconds before he goes up there and it being complete bunkum
0: yeah um oh that's saturday afternoon when they announced that I think that was one of the worst bits wasn't it
1: i remember i'd been to watch wonder woman 1984 and had my phone off for like three and a half hours and then when i came out Good i had choice. all these messages yeah family saying um i don't know what this means yeah. for our, our Christmas either. Um, um, well, I was just thinking, you know, we always have that definition, don't we? It's got a tax payment for the real world. Yeah, it definitely has. Mm. Um, uh, it ma- makes that thing ridiculous or stupid. definitely does. Some form of exaggeration. That's where I fall down. Because mm. where is the... Exa- apart from the comic actors yeah, and the Impressionists, where, what has been exaggerated? Because this all really happened. Discuss.
0: Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, they've, they've really... Done that they've gone out of their way to make it really happened and that where you would have made it exaggeration, I don't know if this would make it more satirical would be instead of having for example, like the footage of that that mother standing in front of the wall saying like that her daughter died of leukemia and insisted that people shouldn't go and see her. If you'd had a kind of exaggerated, sentimentalized version of actors playing those roles and of all the other people, like if you'd imposed a narrative where it's like, well, this guy who lives in North London is, has had a party with his niece in the shed and tried to do that, then I suppose you could have. There's more, the more you fictionalize, the more scope there is to exaggerate. But there, that was absolute documentary realism.
1: Mm.
0: Now, that point about exaggeration, however, is what, where The Guardian said this was a giant exploding grenade of a TV show and clearly hope, as lots of us do, that it might somehow at last have some kind of impact on what these people have to face up to and any sort of consequences. The Telegraph Review did see that element of exaggeration in it um, because they said... The poshness stuff is overdone. Mm-hmm. How they're all there saying like, "Oh, that's Hugo. He's from Eton. We met at Oxford, and so on." Um, surely people don't go around saying this and that. They've they've amped up the posh stuff, but those people are real and they really are. <laughs> so yeah. the Telegraph seem to object to the idea that we're being led to think it's a bunch of poshos doing this, and that's wrong. But it's not wrong, is it? No,
1: it's not. Like, because yeah. the only
0: character, the character who has a less plummy background is Grace, who comes from the Red Wall. Mm. But she's not real. Yeah. So everyone else in there really was that posh.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So I'm not sure the Telegraph really... No. The Telegraph think that it's clunky satire which distracts from what they do concede is an important point. Yeah. But it's interesting that their, their newspaper, sitting more towards the right of the spectrum, think that this is exaggerated... And as a consequence, though, unlike um, your point, think that the exaggeration actually takes away from its potency mm. as satire.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it, the only thing I can think of is the casting maybe exaggerates. So having Will, Prince, Prince Will from The Royals mm. as a character, who's also from 2020, or having mm. Charlotte Ritchie, like, it codes it as comic. Because that's one of the objections yeah. I saw on Twitter is like, why have they made a comedy about this? Mm. Like this is this should not be the subject for comedy. And if you watch it, it's not a it's not comic at all. It's maybe satirical. No, I don't really laughed. There's not a, there's no laughing except for like like a really bleak laugh. Of, and
0: I don't think that anybody watched it to laugh, did they? I no. think people watched it knowing they were going to get very angry. Yeah. And almost kind of wanting the catharsis of feeling that anger. Yeah. If that kind of makes sense, like yeah. to revisit that time and. I don't
1: know Yeah I mean it did I like, I had a very grim smile When the head of ethics Is the one who gets The karaoke machine out Yeah Because they set it up As as bathos As a, as a pathetic just a, And if just you machine. If
0: you made that The narrative And it wasn't true You wouldn't You'd think that was Heavy handed But that's literally What happened Because
1: they footnote Everything I mean that's yeah. the That's the thing That I think Really lifted the show Is that They're constantly Signalling We've not made this up We've not made this yeah. up We've not made this up Here's a tweet that I saw from uh, a person called at Stephen Volk writer who said um, I won't be watching hashtag partygate on Channel 4. Political satire is pointless when the guilty go unpunished. It simply flatters the perpetrators. They will be laughing for sure. And then oh, someone no, says it feels very poor taste, doesn't it? Horrible stuff. It's when you lose loved ones like I did that it hurts. Uh, same. It is an insult to me. I'm sorry to hear that. Ditto, mate. Mm. So, so there's Um, but lots of people were watching it who I think maybe wanted the
0: opportunity and took the opportunity to say this this here's a picture of the person I loved who died and maybe it's never been quite the right moment to say look this this fucking happened to me and it's awful and quite a a, there was a lot of strong so I guess like you know we all grieve differently don't we and um, people might want to watch it or not yeah based on that but um, but th- that
1: person's decided. Yeah, I didn't really
0: think that they were playing it for laughs so or that anyone went to it for no. comedy.
1: Um, but that person's decided, admittedly, before, without watching it, that it is political satire, but also mm-hmm. made the claim that political satire is pointless when the, the guilty go unpunished.
0: i tell you who does go unpunished. Yeah. Um, Rishi Sunak. Yeah, yeah, And he, given he, that they deliberately, I presume, scheduled it when they did in the conference, there's no sign of the guy. No. And no. I think that's an
1: interesting decision. Well, he's, lost, he's lost his phone, hasn't he? Were, well does, yeah
0: but I mean He's in the Sue Gray report And he got fined as well So they mentioned. could have put him
1: in He got a £50 fine Yeah that's the yeah. time His name comes up isn't it um, But no I think When the girls go unpunished That's when you need That's when political satire yeah. Really becomes That's when you need it isn't it To, to try and bring about That punishment
0: Yeah that—that's. I mean that's what We all hope for isn't it I think everybody Was watching it And sort of thinking Surely this might Maybe mm. At least punish them A year hence At the ballot box Yeah because surely people will, won't will forget this. Yeah, as much not. as Jacob Rees-Mogg tells us that we have and we don't care, yeah. we're much more exercised about bins we haven't got than yeah. real things that actually happened.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, the bin thing's com- like actually quite sophisticated compared to, like, the Michael Gove stuff where he just says, Brexit is a success, we deliver Brexit. Next. Yeah. Isn't like, he like, telling us right. we've
0: got the money in the NHS now as yeah, well, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah.
1: Just, not tr-
0: just not true. Yeah, there's, there's a strong week for people saying that satire is no more because mm. this stuff is just ludicrous. But we're just being told we're being told lies and we know their lies and I think they know their lies and I think they know that we know their lies but they keep lying and lying like a bunch of lying shits. Yeah
1: all yeah. All yeah. the so, time. In conclusion I think we have decided that the Partygate gate docudrama is
0: it's in the vicinity of satire yeah. yeah Okay. Next. so it was worth talking about <laughs> next we're going to talk about horror <laughs> and comedy oh, yeah. I believe we <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. are yeah do oh, you, you want
0: to do your
1: do your well yeah so I think so I thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about something that has been uh, in my like tickling away in my mind for a mm. while which is about the relationship between Tell horror me your and your <laughs> <My laughs> mind tickle my mind tickle because it is Halloween So yeah. I thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about this So I've been thinking I've I I worked with Rob Edgar And we did something about satire and folk horror And it just made me think about the relationship between comedy and horror mm. And I've had the opportunity to speak to two writers this year uh, That I've been in the audience for events and asked them the same question mm. And one of them was Jeremy Dyson they're gonna
0: think that you're a ghost, aren't they? If they all get together at their horror writers thing, they'll be like, "Have you ever seen that? That weird man? He's always there in the audience, and he always asks the same question." <laughs> and then they'll be like, "I don't
1: know who you mean. I took a photo of the audience, and he's not in it." Yeah, they it me used, that used to question. be a man. <laughs> anyway, carry um, on. So I said Jeremy Dyson, co-creator of The League of Gentlemen, and 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 novelist and playwright, and the co-author of Ghost Stories, the Western play. What do you see as being the relationship between horror and comedy? And uh, he said this. He said, the uncanny... What's that, Joe?
0: The uncanny... Well, it's defined by Freud, wasn't it? as when we're reminded of things. We're reminded of the time when we thought things are alive that aren't alive, or vice versa. So China dolls are uncanny, says Freud, because they take us back to that time when we weren't quite sure if they were real or not. And so anything that... Behaves as if it's real when it isn't, or behaves as if it's human when it isn't, like an automaton or a doll, is uncanny. Or any uh, when a human turns out not to be human, mm. that is uncanny. So, do you think that's that's about the size of that's it? Fun, that's excellent. Yeah, okay, <laughs> that's very that really good. So yes, we see. we say uncanny often just to mean like, oh, that's a bit weird, doesn't it? But the uncanny more specifically kind of centres on the uncertainty about whether something is alive or not
1: yeah and it extends to be the when something familiar is suddenly rendered unfamiliar. yeah
0: alive and not alive familiar and unfamiliar yeah. when it's the all too familiar coming back to haunt you or when the familiar turns out to be unfamiliar yeah like you go into what looks like your house from the front and when you go through the door it's a Pit of fire or something. Yeah. I'd mean,
1: fucking uncanny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go so ahead. he says the uncanny arises from these moments when we're confronted with the towering hubris of believing that what we perceive is anything like the true extent of reality.
0: Mm. And the reaction. I do that- think what I perceive is. <laughs> oh, go on. Well, ain't a I don't think there's any ghosts, but well, go no. on. Well, he doesn't yeah. either. So he,
1: what, he, what he was talking about is how uh, the specific example he gave is apparently because the brain can't process all the information it's getting all of the time, so it processes a fraction of it mm. and sometimes goes into like autopilot. So I don't know when you walk into work, if you mm. can, if I did you walk into work today? I did. So can you remember every detail of walking into work today?
0: Um, most of them but yeah Yeah, no I know what you mean so he
1: says like we create these mind maps and like we just pay less attention when it's something familiar and don't record it so he says the tyrant so that's what he was talking about but he said uh, the uncanny is when we realise the hubris of thinking what we experience is a trick set of reality and the reaction to that can be to scream or to laugh they're both embodied responses and they exist on a spectrum and then I thought you might appreciate this Mm. because of how we started the podcast he says a joke that goes on too long can become unsettling Ah. I haven't heard that comment (laughs) Um, and then it goes on to become horrifying just as if you linger on a scene of horror for too long it can become comic so they're on a spectrum yeah so
0: because there's an uncanniness in something going on too long apart from anything else isn't there yeah Yeah. I mean
1: Stuart Lee does this to the point where it's unsettling but if you did it so maybe not
0: horrifying could it become
1: horrifying if like I don't know
0: if you just heard the same joke on and on and on forever and you were trapped in a room yeah yeah
1: he does seem to be corroborating my suspicion that they're related and I like Mm. that he talks about them as like both he went on to say that they're kind of embodied rather than intellectual things yeah so like you can't predict if something's going to be funny until you've experienced it and the same with horror and then a couple of weeks ago I saw Danny Robbins who is the uh, presenter of the Uncanny podcast and recently wrote a book called Into the Uncanny and Mm -hmm. um, he was being interviewed by a guy called Dan Schreiber I didn't realise it was Dan Schreiber do you know who that is no he's a host of the Infinite Monkey Cage oh um, right okay uh, no such thing as a fish, uh, but he he talked about wow. horror, horror and comedy, um, and he talked about how when he went to see Women in Black as a teenager, he noticed that people would scream and then immediately laugh, so you'd like laugh off the horror. Um,
0: so you use the affective sensational response to cancel out the affective sensational response. You you just had
1: absolutely yeah but this is just the thing that I, was, I thought was maybe interesting to note for the podcast he said that horror and comedy are, are good bedfellows and actually some of the greatest horror creators like Jordan Peele who wrote Get Out and mm-hmm. um, Nope and uh, the other Us. one Us uh, he was a comedian before he did horror Alice Lowe is a comic and she writes she makes independent horror films uh, uh, Prevenge. yeah
0: Prevenge and um, oh god what was it called Sightseers yeah have you seen them? No, neither. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. Yeah, and they are funny, but also awful and dark. And, um, yeah, Alice Lowe is... she was She's in...
1: Um, no, is she in Garth Marenghi's Dark Face? We'll cut that out.
0: Yeah, Alice Lowe is great, and you should, I think you would enjoy probably both of those films. Excellent. So yeah.
1: And he said, Gareth Tunley is another comic who made a film called The Ghoul in 2016, and then he went on to say, I never knew this, the person who wrote the original Exorcist novel and the screenplay to The Exorcist, William Peter Blatty, was a comic writer who also wrote the Pink Panther movies.
0: Yeah. Um, and, I mean, the the other guy you asked the same question to as well, the, the whole Jeremy League Dyson. of Gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That has some genuinely horrific bits in it. Yeah. So comedy and horror are the same.
1: They're definitely really connected, aren't they? Yeah. to be on a relationship. So I just wondered if, do you have any thoughts about, about the about that?
0: Oh, I didn't know I was going oh, to have to have thoughts. You don't have, um, to have thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and I think... I mean, there, there is a kind of genre of horror films that satirise the genre mm-hmm. as well, isn't it? Like Scream and stuff. Yeah. And I suppose the horror genre itself is so... Its tropes are so recognisable and um, so easy to satirise that people do that but also do it in a way that has their cake and eat it yeah. by also being quite scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that seems yeah yeah r- plausible to
1: me. Yeah, good. I mean, when I the more I think about it, so there's this this point about them being affective modes that, that elicit an embodied response. They both like gruesome horror, horror and gore and abjection are not a million miles away from scatology. Mm-hmm. So like we talk, I talk a lot about like Swift's scatological poem and it, poems of like shitting, shitting pissing, puking gore. Mm. Like it's basically abject, ab, the abject. Um and uh, and they involve all the also involve like oh, a lot of horror films identify an anxiety and exaggerate it, don't they? So like you always have like subgenres of like the home invasion movie mm. and they' like, well, what is it about suburban communities that are sk- afraid of outsiders? like what if we confirm their priors basically and now we have a murdering like tramp or something who's come in and killed everyone um satire also identifies, Anxieties, but I think there is a difference. Well,
0: I, that that in that example, that reminds me of the you know one of the most quoted sketches from the League of Gentlemen is the um, this is a local shop for local people, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and in that there is that horror of like, well, it's, it's uncanny as well, isn't it? It's the 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 locality and the familiarity are inverted so that they they become horrific, um, yeah. but it's the, the anxiety about the outsider figure and, and the there's there's a satire and a mockery and there's a level on which this is like y- the joke is sort of like, you know when you go back to your hometown, it's all a bit shit and horrible and the people don't like look outwards and they're insular and everyone there is a bit of a weirdo. And there's that level on which it works as comedy mm. but it works as horror as well because there is an uncanniness and a frighteningness about the idea of things never ever changing, mm. and a lot of these characters increasingly turn out to be really, really quite murderous yeah, and yeah. Um, and frightening. And yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, yeah, and they both often don't resolve. We talked about how satire doesn't offer solutions. Yeah, and some like,
0: I, I mean, horror almost never does, does no, yeah. it? Especially, certainly not more recently. Perhaps perhaps old sort of 70s films maybe sometimes have more of a, like now we've defeated the monster we're the, battered and bedraggled but we move on. Yeah. But generally the end of a horror usually seems to strongly imply that the beast is back or yeah, it yeah, hasn't
1: yeah. really been dismissed. There's always like a final twist isn't there? Mm. Yeah and um, I mean so I the Routledge Companion to Folk Horror came out the other day which has got a chapter in it about folk satire and the folk horror revival which i Mm -hmm. wrote and there's a bit in there where i talk about that this and i sort of say gulliver's travels doesn't resolve Mm. because he gets home but the stench of his wife and family is so disgusting to him having been to these other utopias that he has to like stuff leaves up his nose and that's and he'd rather sleep with his horses than sleep with his family because they're they're more civilized than humans he thinks so like that's that's not really. It does. That's quite yeah. a horrific end, isn't it? He's like basically. Really well,
0: so it is for his wife and children, isn't it? He's yeah. I like, <laughs> preferred it when you were fucking travelling. <laughs> well, I do
1: think that is the Travel case. Travel
0: off, you sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I <laughs> tell you what. All of this leads to really nicely. What mm. we've discussed, abjection, scatology, and Jonathan Swift is yeah. um Satire and cannibalism. That's and, right. Um, the the book which you've read and talked about, and I really couldn't get on with, which is a certain <laughs> hunger. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you want
1: to? Yeah. So um, when I went to Switzerland, one of the th- I was talking about the the conference about comedy and taste, and I was talking about like why does cannibalism recur across satirical texts? Because the *A Modest Proposal* obviously it turns up there. It's in this. It's in many things. But the examples I chose were *A Modest Proposal*, *A Certain Hunger* by Chelsea G. Summers, which came out in 2020, which is a novel about an infomaniac uh, food critic cannibal who's also murderer. a cannibal murderer. Yeah which sounds great and a, as a deeply de- boring writer yes <laughs> can, 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 it sounds great as an elevator pitch you critter. would think it was going to be good wouldn't you um, and then um, the meet, the miracle meat on channel 4 yes. with Greg Wallace um, so I mean I won't go into loads of it now but I started by thinking about like what taste actually is mm-hmm. like what, what is the idea of taste and in the 18th century there's the idea of taste as as like the gustatory taste so actually mm. tasting literally tasting things but then there's taste as like intellectual relish or discernment so yeah. being able to distinguish between good and bad things um and i think what we get with satire is often they're playing with these different types of taste so aesthetic taste moral taste gustatory taste and and there are there different relationships to reason um, but essentially, satire, as we've already talked about today, is about exaggeration. It's like taking something and exaggerating it. Mm-hmm. And I think cannibalism is a bit taboo, isn't it?
0: It is a bit taboo, and it's taking something and exaggerating it. In some of the instances we're going to talk about where the thing that's being taken and exaggerated is just
1: meat-eating. Is that sometimes uh, the case? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Or like consuming yourself or others. Yeah. Or like the impulse to consume.
0: Well, it's a metaphor for those things, isn't it? but yeah. it's an exaggeration of um or a a kind of um extreme and um absurd version of eating meat and I think sometimes that's what you're being invited to think about, isn't it
1: absolutely yeah yeah um or or imagining yeah imagining people as the meat mm. which so what happens when you do that? So I started by looking at Jonathan Swift's modest proposal, which we've mentioned like every on every episode, pretty much.
0: Well, when you say we, but yeah. Well, okay. no. Sometimes yeah. our guests, when we start okay. guests, they would yeah. mention it. <laughs> uh, but,
1: uh, but um, yes, yeah, so this is 1729, and it's where it's published anonymously as a sincere, serious proposal. Mm. And the voice of the piece, who is we later learn Jonathan Swift, proposes that one way to solve the Irish famine would be for English landlords to buy and eat the excessive. Offspring. Excessive numbers of offspring from the Irish. Um, and it's presented incredibly straight-facedly. Um, and do you want to hear a bit of it? Um, if it's relevant, yeah. So this is what it goes like. This is just to just to give you a flavour, so to speak. Uh-huh. Um, a child will make two dishes at an entertainment for friends. And when the family dines alone, the four or hind quarter will make a reasonable dish. And seasoned with a little pepper and salt... Will be very good boiled on the fourth day, especially in winter. I grant this food will be somewhat dear, and therefore very proper for landlords who, as they've already devoured most of the parents, seem to have the best title to the children. So so you have that, yeah, and you have that play on, uh, like, metaphorically, the landlords are devouring the Irish people by because they're absent landlords who charge too much tax, but they, they might as well just literally eat the children. So that's the central satire. Um, but then along the way, he uses this this proposal to say that this would remedy lots of other problems. So if we just ate all the excess babies, we would uh, Catholics would be treated better because because you, they're farming because you're farming meat. them. Mm. Yeah, uh, women would be treated better because they're incubating the meat. Uh, animals would be treated better because we wouldn't need to eat so many of them. We're mm. eating the babies. Um, God, I'm starting to wonder why we've never done this Yeah, <laughs> what um, a good idea and it draws attention to the fact that, um, that if people, if landlords cared for the people they were responsible for to th- in the same way they cared yeah. for their property and probably their livestock <laughs> and their livestock yeah. then, a- then we would have a better society so it, it, whilst he's making the obviously obscene suggestion that they should eat babies he's drawing attention to all these other things that are problems in real life like yeah. yeah so so there's that that's that and i think part of the satire comes from the fact that it's so reasonable and logical but what is gone is his moral taste so it's like if we take moral taste out of the equation why don't we just eat all these spare yeah. babies because it solve all these problems so i think and that's basically i think the archetype and it's you've mentioned this before on the podcast but like hg wells acknowledges this doesn't he in, in his...
0: yes and HG Wells um, dedicates as I, you're right I have said on the podcast before um, he dedicates the time machine to Jonathan Swift and he does refer to it in his preface as um, as a satire that he and that he's learned at the feet of the master and in that book the Morlocks come out from underground and eat the Eloy every every night or every time they're not looking but they're not really doing it to solve a problem they're not really they're just doing it it's unclear like that they're they're doing it i think mostly because they're beasts and when the traveler realizes that's what's going on he says like then i realized that humanity had sunk to its lowest possible level because there's nothing worse than cannibalism that's when you know there's no point pretending everything's okay if people are eating people and the victorians were quite like attracted to and repulsed by at the same time the idea of cannibalism so like darwin talks about cannibals in descent of man people go to the theaters to watch sweeney todd people seem to be quite intrigued by cannibalism and it is obviously like the ultimate mm. taboo isn't it but um yeah there's a lot of different possibilities for how we might respond to hg Wells's cannibals i think like is it is it a point about eating meat is it a point about being beasts um mm. i think it's that civilization is in its death throes yeah and we know this because people are
1: being eaten. yeah so, so it's like yeah. a devolution type thing. yeah like absolutely yeah. yeah um so if modest proposal is about um what happens if you just have reason without taste chelsea g summers a certain hunger this novel from 2020 is basically what if you just have gustatory taste like the yeah. desire to consume as your overriding principle. And so, then you'd be a Hannibal Lecter. Essentially. Yeah. So you've got Charlotte G. Summers' character Dorothy Chelsea. Dan- Chelsea G. Summers' character Dorothy Daniels, who is a woman in her fifties who has had a long career as a food critic <clears throat> and is basically now entirely animated by the desire to explore like explore carnal pleasure sexually but also in terms of like appetite and yeah. she wants to eat everything, including people. Um, and that's our narrator so if what happens if you just have taste of no reason and i think it becomes a clunky metaphor mm. for consumerism doesn't it uh,
0: yeah and sometimes she sometimes <laughs> the people she kills it is because she has other <laughs> beef with them <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i i guess that's what the joke is because there's a lot of again a bit like um Hannibal her and the taste thing like she's also very invested in describing the clothes that she has and the possessions that she has and <clears> the food <throat> that she eats and all the intimate details of it in a, in a sort of quite boring it's like American, way it's like
1: American psycho. it is like
0: American Psycho yeah but also peppered with lots and lots of weird metaphors um <laughs> you know, like weirdly fancy metaphors that sometimes there'll be like six of them in one paragraph and it's mm. entirely too much and the the point at which I knew I wasn't going to read this book anymore was when she goes into a room and looks at the co- colour that the walls are painted and says it was the same colour as the inside of my vagina oh, and it's like that's not a comparison that would occur to a normal person and also how would they know yeah. and this, it, I just felt like there was an attempt to shock for the sake of it yeah. and it was... Um, Irritating. Well, there
1: are, there are moments where it tips into. I just like, wish
0: someone would eat her.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, there are moments where it tips into like my dad wrote a porno territory. Yes. Like, like, yeah.
0: It well, it's like a woman written by a man. Right. Yeah. Um, I think.
1: Yeah.
0: It, a, a parody of such. Yeah. But
1: presumably it's not. No, it's not. Um. So just this is what some. This is kind of what it sounds like to read this narrator for three hundred pages. The human body holds 66 pounds of edible meat on average, more than you might expect given how much humans. That is what I would expect. (laughs) How much of a human is inedible. More interestingly to my thinking is how many different human parts are ingested by different people, blah, 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 blah. Cannibalism isn't illegal in many countries, it's perfectly legal, for example, across most of the United States of America. Kill and eat a human and the authorities will charge you with murder, of course. Merely eat a human and you will be hit with the felony of desecrating a corpse in most states, it's just a misdemeanor. I'm not telling you to imply that you should eat a human. I'm telling you this is merely to show I'm telling you this merely to show you that you could eat a human if your tastes run that way, that is.
0: But also, I mean you can't. Like she just said you'd be charged with desecration of a, a, a co well, I get. Yeah. I mean that <clears> there is something interesting about that. I think that she's she's trying to raise some interesting questions. I didn't just much care for the way that
1: she mm it to eat a human heart seems cliche almost tautological in its weighted emotional shape i could see the beauty in consuming blood perhaps in a nice sausage but most argue blood is problematic too potentially contaminated i suspect it's merely gross universally people seem to avoid eating eyeballs and penises the former is bitter and the latter chewy
0: good <laughs> so, know we already know all of that stuff from eating meat don't we we
1: do we do um so i i thought some of the scattergun satire that's going on in this novel is the way in which uh, taste and consumption is fetishized in food criticism. Incidentally, mm. uh, Chelsea G. Summers was a food critic for 30 right. years. Right.
0: So initially when I read it, I thought maybe the flowery, overblown metaphors are a satire of the genre of food criticism. Yeah. But then they happened so much that I thought, no, that's just what she thinks good writing is.
1: Uh, the autumn. Maybe I'm being very unfair. Auto cannibalistic tendencies of the contemporary publishing industry. Mm. Like, I'm getting sick at the, no offence, Chelsea G Summers. It's not an issue with you. I think it's a
0: bit late to worry if we well, c- caused any offence to Chelsea I'm G Summers. I'm getting a bit
1: tired now of novels going on and on about the publishing industry. Yeah. Like uh, Yellowface, fine, but it's like Yellowface. The plot. Uh, this one I'm reading now, Mona. Yeah, but uh, that is
0: because we literally seek out satirical novels and they're they're quite often about the publishing industry like stop reading that genre of book yeah
1: i suppose it's like yeah bunny they're all just like Mm. uh, anyway it's fine um (laughs) she talks a lot about virtue signaling and she Mm. complains about the character Dorothy, dorothea daniels complains about it because she's basically saying everyone has these carnal pleasures it's hypocritical to pretend to like stake make claim to virtue in such a performative way um but then the thing that really got me at the end is it ends... So it's like American Psycho, but a woman. Mm-hmm. Why is American Psycho a man? Because men are the ones who kill women, statistically speaking, on the whole. Mm-hmm. And this is a whole thing that the, that the narrator comes back to all the time. That it's this like big feminist intervention for her to murder men. Um, and she, she says uh, culture refuses to see violence in women and the law nurtures a special loathing for violent women, unfettered violence anger unleashed, the will to destroy, the need to undo these acts run counter to everything we like to think we know about the female nature, feminine nature mm. so that's kind of like gender stereotypes are bad isn't it? Yeah. But then it goes on, we like to think that the men that we like to think that men kill we like to think that men kill because they're men, it's as indiscriminate as they want to procreate Women kill for personal gain or to escape an abusive relationship. Of course, this stereotype is insulting and inaccurate.
0: But also borne out by the statistics.
1: Yeah, the truth, whether we want to see or not, is women kill for any reason.
0: Right, but if you want to make the point that women don't just kill because they're upset or because they need to and they're just as um, crazy as men or just the reasons for killing are as diverse as those that men have and that's a point you want to make, and maybe you found some different statistics that suggest that it's true if you want to make that point then you wouldn't don't it's not most effectively achieved by this highly stylized unrealistic unusual mode of killing and motivation for killing right yeah, yeah. if you want to make a point that women are massive murderers all all over the place for all kinds of reasons like do that yeah like you don't you don't make that point by having this utterly anomalous um unusual uh, main character. Yeah. I just wonder if that's not really if that conclusion was a bit post hoc.
1: Well, I wondered if like we're not like Dorothea is a maniac and we she just told us how she likes to eat penises and kill mm. people for like three hundred pages. So maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe we're not supposed to take, height, Yeah. Just like we're not supposed to actually go and eat children because the narrator of Modest Proposals. Are we not? <laughs> I don't think so. Shit. So I did because uh, uh, yeah, and I so I wondered if maybe Dorothea's suggestion that the last the last glass ceiling is to have women acknowledged as capable murderers who would do killing sprees if it wasn't just for pesky or patriarchy is a joke
0: i really hope so yeah and do you want to just talk about Greg Wallace for maybe we'll make this our final um, yeah. point?
1: Um, so, so I
0: watched this last night. You watched it
1: ages ago. Yeah. Greg Wallace: Britain's Miracle Meet. So yeah, so th- so this was broadcast as a documentary, not as a piece of satire. Mm. It was a hoax. It got more complaints than I think anything in ch- like in Channel Four history or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the premise is you've got Greg Wallace who's famous for
0: Partygate hold my coat sorry Greg Wallace is famous for uh, Masterchef and also those documentaries where he goes to factories and he's like wow you're putting so much milk in there so you put all that milk in little bottles wow
1: yeah. all of that shit Yeah. so he's in that mode in this and the premise yeah. and, is bu-
0: and massively
1: hyped up as yeah, well yeah, which yeah. I've
0: got some thoughts about which perhaps we can yeah.
1: discuss so yeah and is, so there's this company called Good Harvest who has basically solved the cost of living crisis because they can produce this meat very cheaply? Uh, the only thing is the meat is grown from human stem cells, which have to be painfully harvested from human subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pain subjective. It, it's pain subjective, we're told, um, and this means that that uh, the, the so it means that people of a low income can get an income by donating their flesh as, for stem cells. Yeah. Um, But also, more people can afford meat. The only catch is it's human meat. Um, So that's the premise.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, I had some thoughts about this, and they're quite fresh because I only watched it last night. So I'll I'll share those. I was fascinated by Greg Wallace's over-the-top impression of himself. So that must mean he knows how annoying he is and what the staples of his performance are like you put on a ga- you put on scrubs and a mask and you go in a factory and profess to be astonished by the mass production of goods yeah. um, which is as we all know what factories do um, and of the whole kind of genre of that that sort of documentary like I went along to so and so to find out more um, like I kind of thought good on him for doing that as well for for kind of satirising himself and the genre yeah I thought I thought it was really if I hadn't known it wasn't a real documentary, I think that would have become increasingly clear once he starts interviewing other people, especially the doctor. It's like okay, that that's not a real person, that's an actor. But when he's interviewing the guy in the factory who's doing the kind of legwork on it, and there's that moment where the guy says, um, "Yeah, well we can do this now because we're out of the EU." Yeah. And I thought I've got the actual.
1: Okay, so go ahead. Here, so, Greg Wallace says, This must be a relatively new process. And the factory manager says, Oh, it is. I mean, under EU law, we couldn't possibly operate machines like this due to legislation. But thankfully, now that we're out, we can harvest people and we can pay them for their flash.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it isn't mainly a point about Brexit, is it? This no, show? no. But I wondered, I mean, they talk about the cost of living crisis a lot. And he says at the end, like, this might be the most serious suggestion anyone has made about resolving the cost of living crisis. And I felt like that was their sort of conscious point. But I think there's also a point in there, isn't there, about, like, we will eat anything. Yeah. And as with as I said before, and as with, I think, a lot of um, cannibal-oriented satire, Mm. I think it might also have the effect of making you think, well then in that case do I want to eat any meat? Yeah. Like what's the difference between a veal yeah. calf and a and a small well, there's loads of difference between a veal calf and a small child, yeah. but it, if you were of a mind to be repelled by meat, this might you might consider
1: this to be a good argument. It, yeah. It works on yeah. I think it's really interesting when they go and see the um like top chef who talks about ter- uh, uh,
0: Michelle Roux. Junior, isn't it? Mm, Terroir, yeah, because he does the accent and
1: everything. Um, Which is about like the lifestyle of an animal, yeah. yeah, And they do it so the the way that translates is, for example, meat harvested from a forty-five-year-old NHS worker with two jobs is chewy and stringy, whereas an out-of-work thirty-eight-year-old man who's been redundant for five years is much more succulent. Yeah. Um, And then and then that extends to the children, doesn't it? Like children are like the tastiest stem cells going. And part of that is. I mean, one of the my favorite bits is when they Vox Pop. I read about this. They go and Vox Pop people in Newcastle, and they're they're actual people. Mm. It's not they're not feeding them actual human flesh, but they're feeding them meat. And there's a couple of students there who say, "quote As a student for ninety nine p, I would one hundred percent buy that." And that's after they've been told it's harvested from human stem cells. So um, no offense, students, if you're listening. But those but, students, that is. But yeah. they are real mm. students. that got Vox popped. Um But yeah, but it was. But good,
0: perhaps they didn't fully. Maybe if they thought it was more synthetic yeah. rather than synthesized, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's yeah. fine.
1: Great moment where Greg, Wall- Greg Davis, Greg Wallace, Greg Wallace says to <laughs> so. Greg Wallace says to the, Do you want to say Greg Davis again? Sorry, no. Greg, Greg Wallace says to the yeah. CEO of Good Harvest. But when you start harvesting stem cells from children, don't you think there'll be like a visceral moral reaction? And she says, um, "I think there will until people taste it. It just tastes so good, so creamy." Mm. They won't argue back. So the idea is like actually gustatory taste is going to win over moral taste. When you taste it, it tastes that good, which is the justification for eating meat. When you're aware mm. of the industrial meat complex and the genocide of violence committed against the animal who is bred to die, that is not my words. The words of Jacques Derrida. Um, but like, how do we live with it? <laughs> not
0: my words, Carol. <laughs>
1: yeah. We uh, self obfuscate because we like the taste. Mm-hmm. So so gustatory taste wins over aesthetic yes. or moral taste
0: yeah I mean in a lot of cases it does not in all because see under vegetarians yeah. who might well say I do you know it's not that I don't like meat I miss bacon sandwiches etc but I think it's wrong and I'm not going to do it yeah um so I think there there are people who are capable of moral and ethical choices that where where the um taste in the metaphorical sense wins out over the mm, oh yeah, yeah oh, for sure yeah um and I don't think it's necessarily true that once people tasted the best meat ever then they they would
1: get over no, all no scruples. No. But I think I think the the show certainly shows us that some would. But well, I think it's it? it's like it's targeting that flimsy the flimsiness of that as a justification. Yeah. 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 Um did you catch the last line of the show?
0: Um, the first time we've seen to take the cost of living crisis seriously. Yeah. I think I quoted that earlier. You did, you yeah. did, but you
1: didn't quote the full sentence.
0: Uh, was, and that's my modest proposal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, you're like, so it's... It was
0: all about Jonathan Swift all along? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, you've been listening to Adam makes Joe think about Jonathan Swift.
0: <laughs> Again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what's Jonathan Swift's favourite um, book?
1: Uh, ghost of a cha- ghost of a travels that is, what it was is that gonna what you're going to say yes. oh.
0: yeah. <laughs> a ghostist proposal that's what it <laughs> that's better
1: yeah. yeah yeah so my paper concluded with me saying the challenge presented by all of these texts I'm just going to say is one in which we are compelled to make our own judgments which require the synthesis of reason and taste the apparent juxtaposition of an argument justification for cannibalism the apparent, ju- ju- the apparent justification of an argument for cannibalism functions as the ultimate satirical exaggeration, but it also provides a means by which their reader can test, rehearse, and develop their own faculties of good taste.
0: And I presume you, d- you delivered that with even more panache than you just <laughs> done reading it off your bit of paper. <laughs> I did,
1: and I, yeah, I that was to great. I could read my own words when I did yeah. it live as well. But yeah, um, yeah so most illuminating. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree?
0: Yes. The justification of an argument for cannibalism functions as the ultimate satirical exaggeration. Um, yeah, I think it does, and it and it exaggerates all kinds of possible things, doesn't it? Whether that is meat eating, metaphorical consumption, capitalism, or the the kind of dehumanising of of the poor, or the the concept of the end of civilization and savagery and so on. Um, yeah, cannibalism. Cannibalism's got the lot Yeah Hasn't it
1: Yeah Happy Halloween <laughs> Yeah
0: What's the cannibal's favourite thing to eat?
1: A ghost No it's human meat Oh yeah yeah of course it is Obviously But why is that a joke?
0: Because It sounds a bit like meter, Which sounds a bit okay. like cheetah. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no I just made that up uh, On the on this spot Very good
0: Yeah Thank you very much
1: Have <laughs> you got anything else You would like to say? Not about that No Yeah that's cannibalism That's some that's horror That's cannibalism so it's Halloween We've folks, delivered you political horror ghosts. You ghosts do you believe in ghosts
0: no I don't believe why in not? ghosts because there's no such thing okay there's nothing else in heaven and earth than is dreamt of in my philosophy <laughs> and that is the hill that I will do. no because obviously why would there be ghosts how would that how would that work what yeah. would it be What? why are they always from the old days why are they it's it's nonsense.
1: That's there's what, no such thing as ghosts. It really gets me down when. Uh, so I do listen to Danny Robbins' podcast, The Uncanny, mm. where he has uh, people who have had experiences share their experiences, and then you have a skeptic and a paranormal person mm-hmm. uh, who like argue the toss. And it just annoys me so much because the skeptic has to present all this evidence, and mm. usually it's quite straightforward, like oh, there's a, it's the pipes or something. But then the paranormalist can just be like oh but history repeats and then what if there was a farmer who died on that land and it just, it just mm. annoys me that one half doesn't really have to do as much Yeah, but, but when, it, when well, the thing that always like ruins it, not ruins it, but the thing that like makes it harder for me to be sympathetic is when the, the person, the witness says like, and then I went into my bedroom and it was a Victorian maid or like it was a Georgian mm. era gentleman or something like that and it, I just can't believe that ghosts would appear in their period costume exactly as you'd anticipate. See well, they're not going to get any new clothes, are they? Why do they... How do they manifest clothes? Unless it's a memory that's imprinted at, like, stone tape theory, mm. like it's a projection... Well,
0: I mean, the fact that they're wearing the clothes that belongs to their era would suggest that, like, our own expectations of what a ghost might look like yeah. strongly overlay any ghosts we might think that we see. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, what what bit of you would be the ghost? There's, n- well, there's is- your body and there's your mind and when your body packs up your mind does with it and there's nothing else
1: so my position on this is like I don't think that I don't believe in ghosts but I do believe that these people are experiencing something and it's interesting to try and Mm. work out what and if it's psychological not I don't mean they're mad but like if there's like the Mm. for for instance the brain secretes a chemical when you're in company and when you're overtired it secretes it by accident and gives you the feeling you're being watched or or I I, I often think that when I hear these people talking about their ghost experiences particularly protracted ones it reminds me of like my most hypochondriac phase during covid mm. where like nothing was actually wrong with me but i was able to convince myself that it was and that it was being treated or it was getting better or worse depending on what i did and i think that's exactly the same as when you listen to people who think they've got a poltergeist that to me is much scarier than the idea of a non-human entity yeah you're, like cycle psych- that you can convince yourself that there is a malevolence in your house or whatever yeah
0: i think we all have our things don't we and for some of us that might manifest as health anxiety such as you've just described and I know I've had periods of that at more stressful times in life I'm much more prone to imagine I've got one thing and another thing and another thing or social anxiety or anxiety about the people that we love and for others that might manifest in like if I were if I were on my own in the house and heard a, a noise that I didn't know what it was my first thought would probably be equally, almost, almost as irrational, and it would be that, like a crazed murderer or some general bad sort, had broken in and and I w- was going to be murdered. And that's not massively probable either, although it is more probable than that they came from the afterlife. But for some people, that that kind of anxious state of mind might manifest itself in thinking you've mm. you've seen things or attributing. Logic to observable phenomenon. Yeah, um, and I know I know I fear a lot of irrational things.
1: Yeah,
0: car crashes and random terrible accidents and house break-ins yeah. and all. We all do. Yeah but there's still things that could happen yeah, and yeah that's yeah. the difference Well, the
1: reason I can't bring myself to believe in ghosts is because as you say like what would a ghost what is actually what bit of you is it because mm. I'm not even convinced that I'm a th- that I exist in the sense you do that, exist no the body exists and then there's like a whir of chemicals and, and synapse reactions and yeah it gives the illusion of a continuous personal identity that you might recognize as being me mm. but I, that's like ironically that's like a ghost in mm. the like it's like the spark of loads of cogs running together like i don't think there's anything yeah. i don't have a soul yeah so, uh, or anything um you're the ghost in the match i'm the, yeah i yeah, am i'm the ghost <laughs> in the. <laughs> i'm a happy accident of of chemicals and physical things and like the illusion an of memory happy accident. oh yeah yeah oh yeah. no, or no, or no yeah be, it's a good could point. be that too let <laughs> yeah. me so, like, you know
0: no i know what you mean but, yeah. yeah so
1: like but i don't yeah i'm not even sure of what i am so well, I yeah. certainly don't think you couldn't, that you can you can pull like it out
0: that. with tweezers like in the game operation no. like that and
1: there's you yeah and i think that like it's a little bit egotistical and narcissistic for society to decide that there is something unique and inf- and like permanent and and i suppose uh, the other side is like maybe reassuring maybe there's some comfort in it but it's like there is something mm. that's unique and it's me and it transcends my body that's yeah. cartesian dualism but isn't
0: then it, it it is yeah, yeah and i was thinking about that but but then again most people don't seem to think that they will become ghosts and they certainly don't hope that their loved ones will become ghosts the ghosts are scary Mm. but they do they are all on that kind of spectrum of things which assume there is some kind of soul or identity that is observable and transferable yeah um astrology and ghosts and and religion as well which i'm
1: now, which is fine, like you, you can yeah yeah, 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 but, yeah. Um, it was interesting at the event I went to, the Dan, Danny Robbins book signing, because mm-hmm. people, very friendly people. If you listen to the podcast, you you might likely are because I did recommend it to everyone. Um, telling me about their experiences with complete, completely sincerely, and they, they they're not making it up; like it's happened to them. Was just such a strange position to be in when someone tell, like says like quite convincingly, well, very convincing because I think they were telling the, their truth, like. I've had an experience and it involved this ghost on a bicycle. No, I didn't. And like, I'm, I'm like, don't react like you don't believe them, Mm. but also like, that's definitely not what happened. Like, it's a strange Mm. one, isn't it? And it it is like my encounters I've had with people who, um, like who are like my my friends from the Church of Latter Day Saints who always stop me in the park and stuff. Like, it's like, (laughs) I like you. You're civil. I enjoy talking to you. I can't believe that we are spirit souls and. Yeah. There, there's just something we can't. I can't cross that barrier, but I can. But it's be rude specific. as yeah, well, yeah, it would be right? Rude to. No,
0: no, no, no. It's rude of them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because you're not allowed to go up to them and say there's no such thing as ghosts or Jesus or um, the latter day saints or whatever, and that's a true thing, and I've seen it with my own eyes. I. I know there isn't any such thing, but they are allowed to come up to you and say, "Here is a true fact." Like mm. your thing has to be pre- presented as the subjective thing, yeah. and theirs as like because it's their truth, it almost attains the status of truth, and you're not you're the one thinking like oh don't look like yeah. I don't believe you yeah, yeah. but if you went up and said there is only matter yeah. they wouldn't be like oh I mustn't let this nice polite young man think no, that I, I don't sh- believe him so you
1: attack them basically haven't you you've like attacked them yeah but they're attacking
0: f- yours yeah, when yeah, they say yeah. there's a Jesus or a ghost or whatever
1: <laughs> Yeah, or, <Jesus. laughs> or a ghost of Jesus They used to be a ghost the, a holy Jesus. ghost if you will yeah what's, um, exactly yeah, yeah. What?
0: what's a ghost's favourite part of the holy trinity <laughs> the, the holy, holy ghost, ghost obviously yeah
1: so there we go full circle so cool. yeah
0: um, what's the ghost favorite time of year
1: uh ghost autumn
0: no it's a halloween because halloween. everything's named after them it is yeah, yeah, yeah. and they Very get good. to come out
1: yeah so there you go That There's was a, a meta bit of, joke that, that was, a, was a
0: lot bit of yeah, chat w- um but it was spooky it was <laughs> i'm shitting myself now yeah we're we gonna get out of this booth and it'll be like an abyss or a pit of fire or yeah. something well, and I'll turn around and you won't be there because you're a ghost.
1: The um, So if you're thinking this episode ran long, that's because you've got like a 15-minute b- bumper bonus Halloween But also it
0: will be edited.
1: Yeah, yeah. So because it'll be
0: shorter you for you now, the listener, than it is for us now. Yeah,
1: but you've got a little Halloween bit on the end where we talked about ghosts Ooh. and things. Uh, well, I'm going to go and do my trick or treating now. What about you? I'm going to go and do my... Trick or treating, also. <laughs> um, I mean, if you're wondering this, this as well, why has this come out before actual Halloween? It's because nowadays Halloween is all of October. Yeah. It like it really is, isn't it? Yeah, it like is. First of October, and I was like, ooh, time to get out my spooky candles or whatever. Yeah. Um, in fact. So the, it is sensible. Yeah. Don't they put moan pumpkins in the food market at York uh, before September had even finished.
0: Yeah, but I mean, pumpkins do exist independently of Halloween. What? <laughs> I mean, they. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like putting tinsel out, is it? But yeah, I know I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. suppose anyone has that much use for pumpkins apart from Halloween decorations here, because they're um, disgusting.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: So, so happy uh, Halloween. yeah, Happy Halloween! Sit up, shut up, and eat our sa- our, <laughs> eat eat our, our meat, Eat our satire, but don't eat human meat. That's yeah. naughty and wrong.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Woo. Woo. Amen. Mm.